Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. However you found us, we're so glad you're here as we get behind the scenes with the Pursuit Spirits brand. I'm your host, Brian Bikey. Joining me, as always, we have the guys, although we have been recording in person lately, and today we are back to the, the good old online recording days. Yeah, it's the right. comfort of our home. I miss you all. I'm in my boxers. It's nice. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Stand up to a pants check. <laughs> yeah. That's good content for an OnlyFans page. That's right. If Get, all goes south, we know. Patreon's tapped out. Next. We're going to. <laughs> I felt like I didn't see you guys very much last week or so because you guys have been doing recording series, recording season for Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. So you guys have had a bunch of people, feels like, coming in and out and in and out. I've been in here trying to just get things set up for for the new year in the seal box side so anything new before we dive into the topic today just trying to come up for air <laughs> i mean it's <laughs> like no no it's really it's we've been so busy i mean so busy it's like on sunday i i thought i was going to take some time for myself and kind of relax but i didn't i kept answering emails and knocking out some other things here and there and trying to get some new thoughts and ideas rolling for pursuit series labels that's one of the things that we're we're working on is try to get in front of more bottling schedule and stuff like that and having some more kind of fun one-off things that'll only be available at the distillery so we're going to start taking a you know something out of the a page out of other people's playbook when it comes to making sure we have distillery only releases that we want to make sure that people that come and do tours with us that they have something cool to be able to take home and and whatnot too so that's sort of what's next on the the realm for us right now. Yeah. It's like, we thought we'd get to this warehouse. I'm like, Oh, we'll have way more time to record and a spot and location. And, but it's like every day is just turned into triage and you, every day I walk in with a to-do list and one item gets marked off and 10 get added <laughs> to it. And that feel, and I know Kenny feels the same way. And it's just like, but I, they're all good things. I think, you know, starting to feel some traction with the brand. We're getting some reorders, you know, from distributors out in markets. And so, you know, and trying to prepare for opening up, you know, Maryland, D.C. and Delaware. So a lot of good things going on, but it definitely feels like we're just can't get any traction. Or I, I just said we, we're getting traction, but, you know, it just the the piles of things to do are just growing and growing. So but they're all good problems, but it does wear on you. You just can't get off the hamster wheel. Yes, exactly. We're on the hamster wheel. I feel like during the recording over the last two years, like I hear you all talk about that all the time, but I only kind of get glimpses of it from afar because we, we've met up when we need to meet up and otherwise we had been, you know, just in our own homes, but being here and, and kind of being a part of that, some of that stuff too. And then realizing like, oh my gosh, I don't know when we're going to cut another one of those videos with these guys. <laughs> Everyone is just so tied up. So I'm, I'm looking at, you know, when I know that we're forecasting for downtown, I'm like, I, I don't. I don't know if we're going to record before we're even moved into downtown again. <laughs> so on that note, and as we're talking about things for this year, as we've been brainstorming, working on products and all the things on the list, uh, this is a, a topic that that Ryan and I have kind of gone back and forth before. And I just thought it'd be a, a, a fun one just to kind of kick out there and, and kind of chit chat and talk about on the topic of what is there left to innovate? And it's kind of a product development side of things as we're or as one in the industry would look at the products that are out, the brands that come to surface, and try and figure out what exactly the consumer is wanting. And Ryan, I don't want to just say the same thing you did, but you put it so well when you're saying, you know, do they just want more of the same thing? Do you want to hit on what you were saying again? So I don't just 
and do a bad job of copying what you were going to say. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, thinking back historically, what bourbon brands, how they differentiated their products was, you know, with different SKUs was they would have a different, you know, age product, different proof point, different, you know, location, warehouse and whatnot. And, but now it's like every brand has 10 to 15 SKUs. We've just gone through, you know, probably the second year of where, you know, a lot of finished products landing on the market. Some are one-offs, but now they've become just like, you know, staples to a core lineup. You know, you have, you take someone like Starlight or Penelope and, you know, and you got the Honey Cask, you got Takai, you got Amberana, you got Maple. Maple's like all over the place right now. And it's like, mm. do consumers really just want like your, your expression like it just feels like everyone's copycatting and there's really like, I mean, I, I've researched and there's, I mean, there's no cask left to finish. I mean, there are, but there's this very strange and it's like, okay, what is that? What consumers want? They just want, they like this brand, they trust it and they'll take whatever product it is in XYZ cask finish. And is that what a consumer wants? Cause I, me and Kenny have been talking about this and I've been thinking about it really hard over the past year, thinking about how can we innovate, you know, and I, I'm not, I'm not sure what's left out there to innovate with. And so I just be, you know, that that's, that's the discussion I guess I wanted to bring up because we've talked about it, Brian as well. So, I mean, every innovation in these cycles seems very, it seems it's a, it's a slow way to get there. Right. Let's think of what innovation really was in the world of bourbon. So, you know, prior to 1970s and even the 70s through the 80s, what was bourbon? Bourbon was usually anywhere between 80 to 100 proof. You had some outliers that would probably be in maybe the 110 to 114 range, but that really wasn't what you saw a bunch of bourbon on the shelves. That's when bourbon was even in its high time way back in the day. And if you think of even 40s, 50s, 60s, I mean, if you look at all the old granddads, you look at all the dusties and stuff, there wasn't barrel strength. It didn't have anything crazy on the label. I mean, it just said basically bourbon whiskey and it was 89, 93 proof, you know, something like that, right? Move along a little bit fit later, you know, the term small batch and single barrel, <laughs> boom, like mind blowing, right? Like it doesn't feel like it's a big mind blowing thing to put that out to market because at the end of the day, that's, that's more of like a marketing spin on anything. And so you had that. And then of course the, the advent of having barrel proof whiskey in there. So in regards of like those being the core factors, like that was primarily innovation in bourbon for almost a hundred years, right? There really wasn't a whole lot of stuff going on. And then you had really, you had a few other players, but of course, Angel's Envy came on the scene and kind of really, shook it all up when it really put a big emphasis on the finishing side of things, uh, whether it's port or whether it's sherry or whether it's Vino de Naranja or name the other 50,000 casks that you see nowadays. But in the past 10 years, that's probably been what innovation is inside of whiskey. And when I say inside of whiskey, let's say big whiskey, big bourbon, right? Because outside of that, the only people that are really doing any realm of innovation are going to be smaller craft distilleries that have access to local heirloom grains or corn, or whether it's going to add distilled goat's milk to their mash or something like that. 
you know, you don't really have a whole lot of stuff that's going to be coming outside of just what your selling point is or the grains or something that's very interesting from there. I mean, I think from a, a larger scale producer, New Riff is the only one that's really doing anything at a at a relative bigger scale when it comes to the grains, the distillation and getting out to market. So what's that really leave us with? You know, we've got a, a lot of stuff that in my opinion, I think the only realm that you can go through is not just the kinds of finishing barrels, maybe the actual barrels themselves. I mean, I know we've done chinkapin oak, you've got Brazilian oak, and I think, if I had to guess, Sazerac's probably beaten everybody to the punch on this game since they've been doing that forever. So who knows if there's even anything left in the uh, the oak business that you can even spin into the, the barrel, but I don't know. I mean, we, we kind of think of trying to figure out, well, what do the consumers want? And today's consumer has definitely been always focused on the the finishing side, whether it is Armagnac or whether it's whatever, have your bourbon finished in XYZ. I mean, I would like to see that trend kind of slow down and, and fade off just a little bit because we want to get back to drinking just really good straight bourbon once again. But I'd be interested to kind of see exactly where the next phase is going to go. I don't think the toasted category is saturated yet. I still think that's a an avenue where there's still plenty of room to play because a lot of people, that's just because it's not really finished, right? You're not adding a different spirit or into it, but instead you are manipulating the whiskey in a way that is just nothing but pure oak influence. And I, I would like to think that there is going to be more avenues for just oak influence rather than having to say like, okay, well, we're going to finish it in... XYZ and have it taste like some other spirit or wine or stout brew, like whatever you're thinking. I, I don't know if I really want that either. Like I like a little variation and I give a lot of credit to Maker's Mark of, of really kind of spearheading that and and kind of seeing and sort of normalizing that in regards to the consumer mindset. Because when you see all of the, uh, the things for their private select program, when you see all of their finishing series, I mean, that's that's exactly what we're doing. And I, I think that there's still going to be room for that going forward to, to kind of have a, a good differentiation just in the whiskey, but different kind of oak influence. But it ne- doesn't necessarily have to be another spirit that has to be blended in with it. I'll preface by saying, you know, makers who make a lot of these products that are finished in secondary, you know, the wine casks, the beer casks, like you said, we're not talking about whether the products are good or not, but do you think that the people who make them actually want that and see it as something missing in the market these days when they make them, or is it mainly to grab new consumers? I think, honestly, I don't know if it's grabbing new consumers. I think it's just a necessity of skew sprawl is what you have to have. We are in a time where and I've said it before on the podcast. I said, like, this is you're living in the golden age of bourbon right now. This is this is the time in your life where you have more choices than anything you've ever seen on the shelf before. And why not? Why not go explore? Why not find something new every single time? And maybe I've been doing that a bad way of preaching to that, to that particular crowd, but I'm basically encouraging people, yeah, go try something new every single time. And that's the way that the the consumer is kind of geared towards. And so is the days of brand loyalty dying? 
I mean, you're going to have your, the, the things that you really affiliate with the stuff that you like, you know, you always kind of gravitates, gravitate back towards, but who knows? I, I think, I do think like there is something to be said about how brands have to have multiple SKUs on the shelf just because it visually looks appealing, but you also have to keep them. And when I say them, that's me, that's you fellow listener out there, keep your attention at bay to say like, Oh, we're, I want to make sure that we're always in your mind every month. Next time you go to the the store and ask what's in the back or, or what can I get this week or something like that. I, I don't think probably the wine finishes maybe appeal to new consumers, but I do think the addition of honey cask and maple cask is trying to appeal to a consumer that not necessarily is into bourbon that they're just, it's like a, I think companies see that as like a gateway, you know, to get people because it's like much more sweeter. Americans love sweet stuff. It tastes like honey or it tastes like maple syrup. That stuff you grew up drink or, you know, tasting flavors you're comfortable with that most people enjoy, you know, throughout their entire life. And so I do think that is why you're seeing a proliferation of the maple and honey cask is just because it's so approachable from a everyday consumer's palate. It's like... I think it just resonates with them more now, like everything else is just, I think trying to get that, you know, that loyal fan or that whiskey geek that's into you to keep exploring with you. And like you said, just to stay fresh in mind, you're coming out with the press release, you're coming out with, you're probably going to do these in limited releases. So like, you know, Penelope's done that brilliantly where they have like the Cooper series, you know, whether it's Rio, Valencia, Takai, and I can't remember the other, they put them out there, but they're very limited. So they don't, you know, they go pretty fast, but people, you know, they get them and they're gone. And so that kind of creates this hype around them each time, but they still have, you know, their four core that they're kind of focused on as well. And yeah, it is just interesting. Like, cause the simple thing to do and is just to copy what everybody else has done, you know, come out with those popular finishes and, you know, that, that would be an easy sell probably, but is that like innovating or exciting to a consumer? I don't know. I mean, that's why I wanted to have this discussion to me. It's not, but you know, maybe someone else does. Let's also look at the world of beer, right? A a beer kind of went through this trend and it's kind of getting back to basics. So if you think of what the world of beer went through, you had you had your your major conglomerates, you had craft start coming out. And then all of a sudden you had all these hazy IPAs and then the stout revolution, but it wasn't just stouts. And then you had the pastry stouts where you're adding in cinnamon and cocoa nibs and marshmallow and all the Oreos and like all this other kind of crazy crap. And now, and I'm still, I'm still one of the people that drinks all that crazy crap, but you also have, everything is kind of going back where people just want, just want a good lager. Give me a Pilsner or a Kolsch right? Something that's super basic. And and so you see this in the beer world where it's kind of done a complete 360 back to where it was. So who knows? I mean, that could potentially happen with bourbon. Uh, not to say that we want to have the same fate that beer has had because it's kind of going downhill right now, but you definitely see that happen in the, in the beer world where it is getting back to basics, where it's just going to be your standard lager or Pilsner or whatever it is that people are asking for. Maybe we need to like all three of us, we'll just take a trip to you know Kroger or something like that. And we'll just, we'll just start scanning the aisles and think of like, what are other flavors? Like what are the things that people are looking for? I heard a really good 
it was either, I think it was how I built this or it was wisdom from the top. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was wisdom from the top. And it was the guy that invented cool ranch Doritos. And basically they were already had Doritos, but they were like, what's the other flavor? And they just went looking for something like, well, everybody loves ranch. Like let's figure out how we can develop ranch into this. And so it's like, maybe that's all it takes is like, we have to just get outside of this, this mindset of like, what do we want? What does consumers want? And we have to just kind of figure out like, what are the flavors that are out there? Not to say that we want to start venturing the model where we start and who knows, maybe we, we have to just go ahead and swallow our pride and say like, you know, we're not going to be the flavored whiskey company, but damn it. Flavored whiskey seems to work from time to time. Like people that do flavored whiskey end up selling a lot of it and they can do it at a remarkably cheap price because, you know, it's, you know, 70 proof and you can do it with, you know, a couple year old, two, three year old whiskey, add some flavoring to it. You're 1999 on the shelf. It sells a ton. Right. And, you know, that's the engine that pulls the train for a lot of these big companies. I'll have to get a new master blender. (laughs) (laughs) I still need you to figure out how much branch we got to put into our bourbon, Ryan. (laughs) Well, even on, so on that note then, you know, Ryan had mentioned when I, when I asked the question about, you know, whether it was kind of missing the, missing uh, the, a product missing in the market versus trying to grab new customers. And he said he didn't necessarily, you know, maybe the honeys or something grabbing new customer. Well, then what is it to a consumer right now that is drawing them to all the flavoring? So if it's a brand side of it to say, we need to, we need to increase the SKUs. Is it the consumer side, just the nature of FOMO and acquisition and just, to be constantly trying new things. I mean, who says, and I know there's a ton of people who are straight bourbon, straight rye drinkers. They don't really mess with the finished stuff. There are people who've, who do that, but what is it then that draws people to finished whiskeys? I think people think that's what bourbon is. Like they don't necessarily understand the difference between a straight bourbon and a, and a finished bourbon. They just think, Oh, bourbon, finished in oh it's a bourbon <laughs> you know it's bourbon and honey like where it's not flavored or it's not honey flavored bourbon or i don't know it's i think it's just the way it's packaged and marketed and but to me as a you know a whiskey fan and enthusiast i i, I don't see a differentiation between the two i i think you're taking a maple cask you're taking a honey cask there's definitely residue left in there you may or may not be adding it, but there's definitely that flavor is being added to the product and that's fine. I'm not judging anyone, but it's, but as a category, it just, they're, they're not the same thing, but I think consumers think it is the same thing. On the side that I see things, you know, from on the seal box side, we have it broken, you know, essentially in two categories. You've got non-distilling producers, blenders, you know, folks like that. And then you have, smaller distilleries, craft distilleries, brands that are distilling, you know, all fighting for shelf space, all fighting for the same market of drinkers of spirits. If there was less competition, do you think you'd find brands reaching for finishing products to fill out their SKUs less than they do now 
because they're they don't need that as a differentiator because they they can work on stocks they can choose to you know we're seeing i feel like in the smaller producers this resurgence of trying out ancient grains or or heirloom grains or specific you know varietals of grains and stuff like that or experimenting with their own unique climates and you know if they're from this state or that state do you think we'd see more of that and less of the finishing if you didn't have some brands that you know, finishing might be kind of the one way that they can differentiate themselves from everything else because they don't have the other things available to them. No, I, I think this day was going to come no matter what. I mean, Angel's Envy was the the big kind of elephant in the room, right? I mean, they were doing this decade ago before anybody else was even thinking about it. And they are the ones that made it mainstream and made it normalized, I guess you could say. So there's no way you're going to get around it. I think everything's going to go through ebbs and flows. You're going to have your highs. You're going to have people that are going to be following and chasing trends. And you're going to have people that are going to be developing the trends. I mean, to be fair, it's like, did we ever see Ambarana come in? No. I mean, I wasn't even going out and trying to search for that type of wood or trying to even look for it. That's never been something that we've ever kind of focused on is like trying to figure out and go and you know, seek what other types of wood or what other types of finishes or armiac or cognac or brandies or like what else is out there in the world that we can go and finish it. And that's going to make us just a little bit different. Well, I mean, I don't know. I think the category is going to start getting a little bit smaller and smaller and we'll have to go and after we get done going through Kroger, then we'll go to the liquor store and then we'll go and see like, all right, what other kind of cordial are we missing that we can go and finish it in? Next thing we're going to be like, we're not going to actually make an, an eggnog mixed with whiskey. We're actually just make a whiskey finished Early with eggnog. eggnog. Yeah. It's like, it's like, so there's, there's just like, I don't know. You, you have to search, right? I mean, the thing is, is that when you go through the innovation cycle, there are going to be a lot of things that miss. That's just what it is. There's going to be a lot of things that miss, but there's going to be just a few things or one thing that hits and that's what you have to focus on. Right. And that's why companies continue to try and figure out how they can innovate. And if something starts to, to latch on, then you really go heavy with that one. That's honestly, that's kind of way that I feel like it might happen to us one of these days too, where, you know, we are right now, we're coming out with a lot of great products. We're fitting into the categories where there's already a bunch of competition. I just have a feeling one of these days we're going to create something. It's going to be a little bit outside of the box and it's just going to latch onto people and it's going to kind of spread like wildfire. I'm not going to say we're going to be like fireball by any means, but I do think there's going to be something that we can come up with that isn't going to potentially be just in the pure bourbon category that I think is something that we have to consider looking into. I'm not going to say that we want to take a hard left turn and then all of a sudden we're putting out a bunch of flavored vodkas at the gift shop or anything like that. But there will be something that we just have to sit there and, you know, it'll be an aha moment or it'll be something that we do as a joke or, and we'll be like, that's actually not a bad idea. So who knows? I don't think we're going to come up with it on this episode, but it's something that, I don't know. I feel like it could happen one of these days. It's easy in our focus, you know, cause we're so close to everything that, you know, when we talk about the spirits and there are a lot of brands that market this way, that like the finishing is like the big point, the big selling point, but there are also brands out there. And I feel like they, they use finishing in barrels and it's not talked up as much. The product just is the product. I think they, they, they use those elements as part of a grander blend 
I feel like you see that with brands like Found North, where they're blending products, and some of them are finished in products, even a lot of these American single malts. And it, it, it goes back, reminds me of, you know, scotch. I don't feel like anyone talks about scotch like, you should try this Madeira finished scotch. Or like, oh my gosh, you've got this ex-bourbon. Fi-. No, it's just, it was just part of it. That's just an element of how they used it to to finesse where they are in the blend. And I, I'm just kind of curious as to why the, the conversation's different. Why now with whiskey, it's like, it's this honey finish. It's so, you know, it's all about the honey finish barrel or it's all about the, this this port or it's all about what whatever the the flavor of the week is versus it just being a component an element that you use just like anything else age warehouse things like that to just finesse a product and do a toll is it because they're a lot of them are highlighted at single barrels and so like you you kind of have to because you're not leaving anything else up to the finesse or you know what what do you guys think is the difference there i think the definition of straight bourbon whiskey or whatnot really kind of like puts you in this box where, you know, with scotch, they're able to use, it's always been a part of their, you know, process is that they use second use cask, you know, whether that's bourbon or sherry or Madeira or rum, it's just been part of the, you know, the, the process for centuries, whereas bourbon really kind of put themselves in this box with the, you know, it's got to be a charred, new charred oak barrel. It's got to be 51% corn. It's got to be made in America. And so you're in that box and that's why that box is really small. And then, but the finished category opens up that box to a ton, but you're starting out with a very, def- and, and I guess you are too with scotch, but I don't know why scotch gets such a pass or like, like why it's just part, I guess not a pass, but I, I'm not sure why. Like they don't use that as much as as part of their marketing is like, oh, it's the sherry cask finished, you know, scotch or this or that. Well, a, a blend of scotch is it can be a blend of ex bourbon cask, a blend of ex sherry cask. It could be an ex Madeira. It can be all of those in the one. And they don't necessarily market it as that, I guess. The other thing about scotch is that the players in the scotch world, there's not as many like upstarts. Or should I say just startup companies? Why don't we say upstart? Yeah. Anyway, startup. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing is like to get a very good scotch out the door. I mean, what are you looking at? It's not going to be three to five years that you see in bourbon. Right. So there's a huge barrier to entry if you're going to go and be a distiller in the scotch world. Now, I'm probably going to be way off base and people are going to be like, "Get you're an idiot. Look at all these other ones. Uh, but I do know that, of course, independent bottling is much bigger in to scotch because you have the people that were like us when we started doing Pursuit Series that you could go and you can find caskets and blend things and kind of create create your own thing. So I don't really, I'm not going to be able to say there's a, there's a good... Maybe we're on the forefront of innovation and we've already done the innovation by doing the contract distillation, independent bottling of blending. Maybe we're just a little bit ahead of the time. No, that's very true. I mean, we've been we've been a little ahead on a few different things, and so who knows? You're right. That's what it could be, and people will find what we're doing is is interesting. And we are one of the very few, if not you know, between us and Barrel, and maybe one or two others that are kind of doing something that's even remotely close to to 
blending different states to find new flavor profiles rather than the same mash bill brand, branded in 50 different ways. But that's either a differentiator or it's something that we look at as saying, well, let's, let's build upon this and you can figure out what's next. And, and I don't know, I, like I said, I'm still kind of see a big upside when we look at the American Oak finishing side of things, not to say that you have to start looking at all the different spirits and wines and whatever, but I don't know. I still feel like there's a lot of room to play there and there's going to be good opportunity for things to come along there too. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think, you know, the, the toasted and double O category has been very popular. And like what I appreciate about that segment of quote unquote finishing is that it's not, there's not an, an extra element to it. It's just wood, and different to- toast and char levels, seasoning levels. And you can really, you know, have the, the wood be manipulated tons of different ways, you know, through like processes that have been happening for hundreds of years. And I, I mean, I, I know makers coming out of it, but our Oak collection was what I feel was pretty innovative. You know, I didn't remember any at the time having, you know, a French Oak and American Oak blended back together. And it, you know, and I know you keep up bringing up angels envy, but, Jim Beam had a sherry finished well before them, and so did Parker's, and those were not well received by whiskey geeks whatsoever, mm. and they kind of flopped, you know. But that was like in the late '90s, early 2000s, kind of before Angels Envy started getting traction. I think where Angels Envy, Envy hit the sweet spot was with the price, lower price packaging, and you know a new kind of product on the shelves. But maybe it's. I do agree, Kenny, with the the different wood aspects. I, that's the one I'm most excited about. But is it? I'm just curious if it's interesting enough to a consumer. All right. Well, then I'll throw one out and see if we can do the funfetti version of of United. I have thought of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm well, kidding. All you do is just get some. We'll have confectionery finished barrels, right? And just kind of like you know, throw some powdered sugar in there. Throw your whiskey in. We'll see what happens. A little Pop Rocks action going on. <laughs> yeah. That, that, and and that, that brings up a great point, Kenny, because I remember there was a post about the like that companies like that puts flavors, bake them into the barrels, you know, so they're not actually adding the flavors. But people like were in an upheave about that. But I'm like, but you're perfectly fine imparting a flavor by dumping it into a barrel i'm not touching it i'm not touching (laughs) it but but but, but it's so it's so hypocritical because you're perfectly fine with a company putting like honey or maple into a barrel and then it's the i mean it makes no sense to me yeah i feel like there's a couple of other areas that we could go with this one particularly that's on my mind but you know what I'm going to save it for the next podcast. Guys, thanks for joining me uh, tonight. Listeners, I'd be really curious if there's, you know, while we're thinking about what is there left to innovate, if there's a product that you're wondering why on earth has no one made this yet, just let us know. I'd be curious. You know, no, we, have, you, we have a distillery. Let's do it. Yeah. No, but seriously, <laughs> yeah, let us know. You know, it'd be interesting to hear if there are things that are just kind of left on the table that that you're not seeing while while we could be racking our brains saying there, there's nothing left to innovate. Podcast at PursuitSpirits.com. If you have questions for the guys if you have topic ideas for upcoming podcasts let us know podcast at pursuitspirits.com guys thanks for diving into this this was a, a nice back and forth again i think that we got a lot of places that we could continue to go with this and and i look forward to to doing that on the next episode here behind the pursuit thanks guys for joining me on the episode thanks you all for tuning into another one until next time we'll see you all later toodles bye-bye